welcome to Adapt, episode 21, which is brought to you by Pingdom and Sanebox. My name is Ryan Christofel, and I'm joined by my co-host, Federico Vitici. How are you, Federico? Hello, I'm good. I'm at home uh, in lockdown. I've been for about two weeks at this point, almost. Uh, we're doing good. We're doing okay so far. Um, but So that's what matters. Even I are fine, or our parents, our family, our friends are fine so far. So we're holding up. Uh, how about you, Ryan? How's it going uh, in New York? It's good. We are not quite in lockdown yet, but it seems like it's trending that direction. So uh, spending just about all minutes of the day at home, but still get to like go out for walks every now and then, which mm-hmm. is helpful <laughs> for sure. Get a little bit of sun, uh, but we'll see where things go from here. Um, nobody knows. So yeah. Oh, we're going to try not to think about that for now and uh, instead talk about the iPad, which is a little more of a pleasant subject for us. Yes. Uh, so today, what we wanted to talk about for our topic is uh, kind of a big subject and one that maybe for people who aren't familiar with using the iPad that much, uh, maybe something they don't know a whole lot about, which is file management on the iPad. Mm-hmm. You know, the history of file management on iOS devices has been interesting, I guess you could say, where for a long time, iPad users were kind of discouraged from kind of using a traditional file system. You know, we had uh, files that were stored in kind of siloed off app containers where you could access those files from inside that app, but there wasn't a universal place to, to access everything. Things have slowly changed over time. iCloud Drive came along. Now we have the Files app. And so there's a lot that has changed. And there's a lot of things that I think can be confusing, even as someone who uses the iPad all the time and writes about it. There's there's all these different terms like open in place or file bookmarks mm-hmm. or the document browser, CloudKit, iCloud Drive, all, all these things that are different in some ways. Um, and yet there's similarities. It's not quite as clean and simple as you know if you are used to using a mac and you primarily just kind of store files in in your documents folder in the finder and on the desktop um things work a little bit differently on the ipad and the file management system can do a whole lot more than it used to be able to do but it you know it can be hard to get your head around things so we wanted to talk about that to help our listeners better understand how file management works on the iPad and how it can work for them. Yeah. So um, starting off, and most of this is going to revolve around the Files app because right. that, that's, that's what Apple has created as kind of the de facto, this is how you manage your files on the iPad. Um, but even within the Files app, there's a few different uh, things that are going on in terms of where files are located Mm-hmm. And so I uh, wanted to ask you, first of all, can you explain kind of the difference between if you open the Files app, you'll see iCloud Drive there on the left side as an option for where to store files. There's also local storage. So right. on the iPad, it'll say on my iPad. But then you also have file providers. And some of those are cloud services, right? Like Dropbox or Google Drive. Some of them aren't cloud services. They're actually just apps, so working mm. copy is a common one that you and I use. So can you explain kind of how how all those different things work? Are there certain things you can only do with certain file providers? How do they work together? What what's going on with all that? Right. So I think the the most important feature of the files app to to understand and to sort of explore if you're new to file management on the iPad is the sidebar. The sidebar contains a lot of features. Some of them are quite hidden from view, and we're going to talk about those in a few minutes. But the the locate, the idea of locations, uh, what you just mentioned, uh, the differences between iCloud Drive, local storage, and file provider extensions, I think that is the most important feature to understand how the Files app works on, uh, on iOS and iPadOS, because it's really the same. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a major difference from the Finder, first of all. On the Mac, you have the Finder, which is like this system-wide layer, and you have the desktop, and the desktop is actually a location of the Finder, um, and you have this file manager, and you can create folders anywhere. And by and large, the Finder is a local file manager, and you have special locations for 
uh, iCloud Drive, and uh, third-party services like Dropbox, for example. And on the Mac, you can explore like the system uh, system files, not as much as in uh, as before now with the latest uh, security restrictions like system integrity protection and all that kind of stuff. By and large, the Finder is a local file manager. On iPad, the Files app is really mostly about iCloud Drive. At least that's what Apple tries to push push as the default uh, location. Um, You're free not to use iCloud Drive, of course. If you don't want to use it, you can just disable iCloud Drive in settings. But it is the most important feature and location of the Files app. It's... um, it lets you organize uh, your documents with folders, and you will also find folders for apps that store their documents in iCloud Drive. And those folders are like the special ones that have the icon of the app on top of them as sort of like a special type of folder. Um, on my iPad, which is also called on my iPhone, if you have an iPhone, so local storage, this is an interesting feature in that it changed with iOS 13. Um, so it used to be that local storage has been a part of the files app since iOS 11, but before it was a sort of write-only location for apps. So if you were using an app that was storing documents and was exposing those documents in the files app, but was not using iCloud Drive, the app could say, okay, I'm storing these documents locally, and if you want, you can open the files app and you can take a look at them, but you cannot create new folders or you cannot import files into this local storage location. So it was a way for apps that didn't want to use iCloud Drive to still expose those documents locally to you via the Files app. Now, this has changed in iPadOS and iOS 13 so that apps can use local storage as before, but you can also use local storage. So you can create folders, you can drag and drop files, you can paste uh, files from other locations. So it is true local storage on your iPhone and iPad. If you want to store something locally without having it um, take up space in your iCloud Drive subscription, you can, for example, if you have a large video file or if you have a collection of photos that you don't want to sync and and store in iCloud Drive, you can just uh, paste them or drop them into the on my iPad location, and you will you will not have the restrictions that used to be in place before up until iOS 12. So that that at the very least that's good news. One of my favorite tips for using on my iPad and the local storage, something I learned from you is that if you go to Safari's settings inside the settings app, oh yes. you can change the default download folder where things that you download through Safari are stored. And by default, it's set to iCloud Drive. And so what will happen is you download that file from the web, and then it automatically then starts uploading to iCloud Drive, which, depending on what you want to do with that file, might be what you want. But it also might be a pain because you have to wait through the cycle of download and upload. And you're just going to, for example, maybe move that file into some other app where it's working on local storage. And so if you go to settings and Safari, you can change the default download folder to be stored in local storage on Mm -hmm. my iPad, which has been a fantastic change for me. It just saves that time of waiting for the upload. And what I'm doing most of the time is I'm moving audio files or podcast recordings like this one from local storage into my podcast editing app, Ferrite Recording Studio. And so it just cuts out a whole step. And so that's something to keep in mind if you're not using local storage that much um, and you're trying to think how it could be more useful, changing the default download folder to local storage can be really helpful. Yeah, yeah, that, that was a really nice touch um, that Apple added uh, to Safari downloads and settings in iOS 13. Um, file providers, so these are extensions that just like any other extension in iOS, whether it's a share sheet extension or a widget or shortcuts actions, you install by actually installing the main app from the App Store. And there's two kinds of file providers at a high level. Those that um, bring functionality from a cloud service into the Files app, and those that expose the contents of apps 
to into files. And it's a very subtle difference. So let me give you some examples. Uh, Dropbox, of course, uh, it's the popular cloud service for file management. Um, it comes with a file provider extension. So if you, if you tap edit in the file sidebar, um, you will go into editing mode and that will show you all of the file providers that you have installed on your device that you can enable by flipping a switch. Enable Dropbox and then you will see that all the contents of your Dropbox account will be available in the files app in the Dropbox location using the UI of files. So list view, grid view, column view, you can browse the contents of a third-party cloud service inside files. This happens because the file provider extension is acting as a bridge between files and Dropbox. Dropbox is actually communicating with the cloud and the file provider in the middle is reconciling changes between files and Dropbox. And in my experience, uh, these kinds of file providers tend to be fairly unreliable. Um, and when I say fairly, I mean very unreliable. I don't want to be I don't want to be politically correct, Ryan. Uh, they are very unreliable. And I don't know if it's a combination. I think it's a combination of two factors here. Um, the API that developers use to to program these extensions has always been buggy. But also, a lot of companies don't want to put enough work into making these file providers more reliable. So the combination of those two things, and maybe developers don't want to put in the work because the API is too obscure, or maybe because it's difficult to work with, but some change is necessary in this regard. And I really hope that Apple can, can launch a new developer framework for cloud-enabled file providers this year, because like uh, Google Drive and, and um, Microsoft, is it still called OneDrive? Yeah. It's called OneDrive? Yeah, okay. Um, they've always had problems in terms of like, sometimes you, and I use Dropbox, but I've heard of similar issues with other uh, cloud file providers. Sometimes like you, you want to download the document in files from Dropbox and it never downloads. Some other times you try to upload a document via the file provider and the document never uploads. And I've had this happen to me. Uh, the document never uploads. And then a few days later, just out of the blue, you see that document in your Dropbox account. <laughs> so like it gets stuck for a couple of days. Um, it should really be uh, easier for developers to program these kinds of extensions and the files app should be more reliable at dealing with them because otherwise I think it's a great idea. Like take files and extend files with a cloud service that you want to use. But in my experience, these have not been super good. How about you, Ryan? Yeah, they're, I feel like the Dropbox one, and, and this is probably, I should preface this by saying, I use iCloud Drive 99% of the time. Oh, yeah, same, yes. And so yes. I, I use Dropbox a little bit. That's really the only other one that I use. I gave up on the Google Drive one a long time ago. But uh, I feel like the Dropbox one has been more reliable for me, but mm. that's probably just because I don't use it very often. I'm sure if I relied on it more, then mm. it would be giving me trouble. Yeah, and there are also file providers that, don't necessarily communicate with a third-party cloud service, but simply serve as a way for, for applications to also expose their documents in files. Uh, so for example, uh, Keepit or DevonThink, I believe, has the same feature. Those are like database apps. Like they let you collect files and, and organize them in a bunch of uh, advanced ways uh, Keepit is very good, like it lets you organize notes and images and documents, it lets you tag stuff, it lets you do smart folders, it's very, very good. And you can browse all of your files in, in the Keepit app, of course, but as an option, you can also enable the Keepit file provider, and you will get the same file structure, the same document structure in files. So you can, uh, you can browse the contents of Keepit from files, and in addition to that, you can also use Keepit as a source for other apps, because as we're going to talk about in a few minutes, the benefit of integrating with files is not, it's not just the fact that you can tap on the files icon on your iPad and see documents from other places, but also if you use a files-enabled app that uses the document browser, for example, or uses the standard document picker, you can then just directly open something that comes from Keepit or Dropbox 
without having to do the whole dance of copy and paste or opening as it used to be in the old days. So the advantage of exposing documents via files, again, there's the benefit of being able to sort of use files as a centralized repository for all your documents, but it also means now multiple apps can communicate with each other, can pass documents back and forth without creating duplicates because files in the middle, again, is serving as a bridge, as a tool for those apps to communicate and say, let me open this file, let me make some changes, let me save those changes without actually creating a duplicate copy. Also, I want to uh, briefly mention Ryan, uh, because we, we make uh, this difference in our reviews on Mac stories often. The difference between iCloud Drive and CloudKit. Um, so iCloud Drive and CloudKit are two different ways for developers to store data and documents in iCloud. At, the, at a base level, they're both services that let you store stuff in your iCloud account. But there are some differences that I want to point out. iCloud Drive is primarily for apps that deal with documents in the traditional sense. Like you actually have a collection of documents like TXT documents or PDF documents or images, and you want to store them in a folder and you want to get access to versions, and you want to be able to tag those files, and you want to be able to do all the things that you can do with documents in files. So, for example, IA Writer, right, is a, is a text editor that works with iCloud Drive, and you can actually go into Files, iCloud Drive, IA Writer, and you can see all those documents, right? You can see all the folders that you create, you can see your library, you can see all of your uh, text documents that you created in the app. And this is a way for IA Writer to say, uh, you can do whatever you want with your documents, you can store them whenever you want, and you can use iCloud Drive on your iPhone, on your iPad, on your Mac, and IA Writer is able to follow you around in a way and always open those documents. CloudKit, and I'm oversimplifying things here, right? This is not a developer podcast, but CloudKit at a high level is more, I guess... It's more indicated for data syncing. And again, it's so much more complex than this. And of course, if you want, if you're a developer, you can use CloudKit for document storage. But in my experience, I've seen CloudKit being used by apps that don't necessarily have to store documents on the file system and expose those documents to you. It's more indicated for those kinds of apps that like, invisibly sync your documents. Like, for example, Bear, uh, the note-taking app, I believe, uses CloudKit to store your notes in iCloud and sync them across devices, but it's not like you can see those notes as files in the Files app, right? They sync with iCloud, they live in your iCloud account, but you don't see them in the file manager. And CloudKit is also used by apps that want to like sync preferences across devices or like common sets of options across devices. And again, it's so much more complex than this, but at a high level, if it's always iCloud, so that doesn't change. What changes is that iCloud Drive allows you to have, uh, have access to documents by apps in the file manager. Um, now, I want to briefly mention, uh, we still have a few minutes for this topic, I want to briefly mention some of the hidden or maybe not as well-known features of files, Ryan. Um, a lot of people were surprised a few weeks ago on Twitter when sort of everybody was talking about the iPad and, and its issues. Before coronavirus, everybody was talking about the iPad. Um, a lot of people were surprised by the existence of Column View. And Column View is a new feature of files in iPadOS 13. You can enable Column View by um, tapping the Column button in the toolbar of the Files app. And if you don't see the toolbar, you can reveal it on your iPad by swiping down uh, on, in the Files app in any view. And you will get the toolbar with a bunch of sorting options, as well as icons to switch between different views. I believe you can also switch between views, so list, grid, and column view, with a keyboard shortcut. I don't remember the keyboard shortcut right now. I want to say maybe command something, command three, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but you can, uh, you can browse your files as columns. This is a feature that has always been available in the Finder for the Mac. 
And when you select a document, it shows you an inspector, and the inspector shows you metadata and a preview of the document. It's very nice. It's my default view in the, in the, in the Files app. Keyboard shortcuts. Uh, hold down the command key in Files, and you will get a rich selection of keyboard shortcuts, more than before, actually. Uh, it's a very nice selection. You can do things like navigate between folders and open stuff, and again, switch between views. Uh, so that's very nice. And I mentioned the sidebar of, of the Files app. Tap that Edit button, and you will see a bunch of features that you were not expecting. Uh, either the Edit button or the ellipsis, you know, the three-dot circle button. And you will see that in addition to customizing file providers, you can also do things like connect to SMB servers. So like if you have a Mac at home and you want to connect to the Mac's file sharing server from your iPad, you can do it in the Files app. I can connect to my Mac Mini, for example, from Files. And I can browse the contents of the folders that I share from my Mac Mini using Files. So that's very nice. You can also scan documents in Files and save them as PDF documents. The document scanner used to be a feature of, of Notes, and now it's available in a bunch of places. It's an API for developers, but it's also a feature of the Files app. So you can tap the, you can tap the ellipsis button, and you can scan a document, and you can save a document as a PDF. And uh, maybe you can store that PDF, Ryan, in a shared folder, right? Well, they're shared folders? What? Yeah, well, <laughs> in theory, they're coming soon, right? In iCloud Drive. So iPad OS 13.4 has shared iCloud Drive folders, which you and I have a shared folder right now for our right adapt now. files, which, you know, we haven't been able to use it for long. So who knows how reliable <laughs> it is? Kind of, we'll have to wait to see on that. But this is something that was announced last year. It was in the 13.0 betas and was eventually removed from them because there was some work to be done still. And so we're hoping that all the kinks have been worked out. And by the time this episode comes out, 13.4 uh, may be out or may not. And we still don't know because we're recording this on Tuesday. It's very possible that 13.4 will be out this week. But in any case, yes, Ryan and I have shared a folder and we've been using it. It's too early to tell. So we'll follow up on this topic in the near future as we use this feature more. Um, what else? Have I, I want to mention opening place and file bookmarks. We've talked about the document browser before. The document browser uh, is uh, essentially a way for apps that uh, want to let you open documents from files. And the document browser is the initial view of those apps. Uh, I believe we've done an episode of, on, the, on the document browser, or maybe we've done, like we've mentioned this feature multiple times on Mac Stories and on Club Mac Stories. And some examples of apps that use the document browser as sort of like a shared file management layer include PDF viewer, MindNode, um, Pretext, Pixelmator Photo, and actually the Pixelmator team, this was excellent news from last week, the Pixelmator team is finally updating the standard Pixelmator image editor. And they're bringing a lot of modern iOS and iPadOS features, including integration with the document browser. So that's really excellent news. But one of the features that relates to the document browser that I want to mention is opening place. So opening place um, does not require the document browser. You usually see it in the document browser, but it can also be used by apps that have a custom UI for opening files. Um, and it's the idea of, as the name says, being able to open a document in place, a document that maybe doesn't necessarily come from the same app, opening the document in place without creating a copy, without creating a duplicate, so that a, a different app can make changes to a document, save those changes back to the original file. Um, Textastic, Working Copy, IA Writer, all of these apps can open documents created by other apps in place, make changes, close the document, and changes are saved back to the original file. This is a modern uh, file uh, files API. It was launched initially in 2017 with iOS 11. Uh, it was adopted by a bunch of indie developers, and I think it's slowly finding its way onto more like apps from from bigger uh, bigger companies as well. And it's one of those features, right? That like that you expect 
on the Mac, like in the Finder, of course, any app should be able to open any document and make changes without creating a duplicate. But it wasn't like this on the on the iPad uh, for for several years. So it was really nice of Apple to launch this this API, and along with opening place, there's also the slightly less known file bookmarks technology. So file bookmarks, and you can go back to a story that I did in twenty in May twenty nineteen called Beyond the Tablet, where I explain file bookmarks. It's the idea of creating a bookmark to a file or a folder so that you can get persistent access to that item forever, essentially, even across multiple reboots of your iPad and relaunches of, of, of an app. Um, Scriptable is, is one of the apps that lets you create uh, file bookmarks, uh, basically get persistent access to a document like a PDF document or a text document. Uh, I use it. Uh, I have a pretty sort of a, like advanced use case for file bookmarks. For example, I have a I have a little script in Scriptable that um, takes a screenshot, lets me rename a screenshot, saves the screenshot into a folder in iCloud Drive without asking me to pick a folder every single time. So that's the bookmark, and it also tags the screenshot with an iCloud Drive tag. So it's the idea of like, if you need to do complex file management, you can automate that process on iPad. There are very few utilities, unfortunately, that do this today. Scriptable is the, is the most powerful one in that it lets you create uh, automations and scripts that integrate with bookmarks that way. I really hope bookmarks are the kind of feature that eventually find it, finds its way in shortcuts. Uh, shortcuts doesn't use opening place or bookmarks so far, it would be really awesome if you could say in shortcuts, let me pick a folder once and then that folder, that destination becomes a bookmark. And so I can create shortcuts that maybe read the contents of a folder or maybe save a file into a specific folder without asking me every single time to pick the destination folder. So I really hope that this is one of the features that we get in shortcuts with iOS uh, 14 this year. Okay, so that's a lot on file management, <laughs> a lot of different things to remember. So if listeners have questions for us, please write in, yes. um, use the hashtag askadapt, and we would love to try to answer whatever file management questions you have. It is a more complex system in many ways. There's there's more different technologies that are going on behind the scenes. And and really, I think the main problem is not so much that there's all these different APIs and technologies. It's that they are you know, not implemented in every app. And so some apps will support open and play. Some apps will support file bookmarks or the document browser or all these things, but lots of them don't. And so it's it's just an inconsistent experience depending on what app you use, which makes it all the more confusing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but please let us know if there are other questions, other things that we can help with. Now, let's... I've got some, <laughs> some mm-hmm. spreadsheet talk to do <laughs> because of the challenge you gave me. Uh, but before we get to that, let me put it off as long as possible by thanking our first sponsor. Uh, this episode of Adapt is brought to you by Pingdom from SolarWinds. Uh, do you have a website? And does your website have a shopping cart or registration forms or a contact us page? If you answered yes to these questions, then you need Pingdom. Uh, nobody wants their critical website transactions to fail. That means a bad experience for your users, and it could mean lost business for you. The good news is that you can set up transaction monitoring with Pingdom. Transaction monitoring will alert you when cart checkout, forms, and login pages fail before they affect your customers and your business. Pingdom will let you know the moment that any of these pages fail in whatever way is best for you. You can customize how you're alerted and who is alerted depending on the outage severity. Pingdom cares about your users having the smoothest site experience possible. And if disaster strikes, you will be the first to know. It's super easy to get started. Just go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. When you sign up, use the code ADAPT at checkout 
to get a huge 30% off your first invoice. That's pingdom.com slash RelayFM. Use the code ADAPT for 30% off your first invoice. Thank you to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Federico, mm-hmm. you... <laughs> I gave you a challenge. <laughs> you gave me a challenge. Um, a really yeah. fun one, I would oh, say. Oh, gosh. You know, I, I was thinking back <laughs> on my initial reaction when you challenged me, and I don't think I was nearly upset enough at the time. <laughs> uh, using spreadsheet apps. I mean, really? That's, that seems like one of the meaner challenges you've given me. I, because I, I don't think it was necessarily difficult, right? It was just maybe, I don't know, boring? It, it, <laughs> yeah, it depends on how you define difficult or, or challenging. Um, hmm. it, it was challenging to make myself do it, I guess you could say. Okay. So yeah, you wanted me to try out different spreadsheet apps on the App Store, um, see what kind of features they had for text variables and calculating numbers and all those good things. All I'm exciting sorry. things. I'm, I'm, I apologize to any listeners who really does get excited about these things. Uh, no offense to you. I'm glad that you enjoy them so that I don't have to. Um, yeah, so I, I tried out some apps and... Uh, ultimately, you know, things were actually a little disappointing in terms of what's out there. Mm. Um, the real long story short is that Excel and Numbers are by far the two most capable apps available in the App Store. They are the two apps that are actually really good. And then the other apps that I tried were not so much. They failed in a number of ways, and I'll kind of explain why that is in detail but um i was i was hoping to find like a really good indie app where you know some indie developer just came up with kind of a maybe lightweight but still powerful like app that took good advantage of ipad os features was a really good kind of os citizen and uh there just isn't one out there that i could find unfortunately so um let me do a quick rundown of Excel and numbers, and then I'll get into the other apps that I tried. All right. Um, okay. I, I, I did make myself kind of a, a parameter of only using native iPadOS apps. So um, some listeners recommended some different web apps to try, mm. which you could, of course, run on the iPad. But, you know, we wanted a, a native app experience. So that's what I went for. In Excel, um, there is a, if you're browsing like the, the roster of different templates for spreadsheets to create. There's a welcome to Excel tour, which I was like, okay, this is good. This is going to be helpful. Um, it was not so much. And I, I don't know. I assume that the creators of the app maybe think that if you're going to use Excel on an iPad, you probably have lots of experience with Excel. And that's probably a fair assumption for lots of people. Um, I've used Excel some in the past, but not a lot. And so I was hoping to get a little more out of this. Um, There are four tabs inside the Excel tour uh, spreadsheet. And one of them was on, the first one was on ink, which I thought was kind of a strange place to start. It's like the different inking features where you can add, you know, highlighting and other things over different spreadsheet cells. Um, It was, it was okay. There were some spots inside that, tour where the Mm. ui of what it was saying for you to do didn't match kind of what's actually in the app so i guess they've just updated the app over time but haven't changed the introduction that was unfortunate it it made it so that i couldn't actually complete everything so that wasn't a great start but from there it got a little bit better Um, i played around with lots of the different templates that excel provides which there's a lot of them so that's nice And the best thing I can say about Excel is that it handles the basics really well. So using a keyboard, for example, to navigate between different cells with arrow keys, that works great. You can just use the up and down, left and right arrow keys. You don't have to kind of tap on the screen first to select a cell and then type. You can just move the arrows keys around and then start typing. So it's really keyboard friendly. Uh, Data entry is fast and easy. Move around really smoothly. Unfortunately, I was really surprised to find that when you hold down the command key, which in a 
and the average iPad app will show you the keyboard shortcuts. Excel didn't show you anything. Ooh, um, really? Yeah, so the app supports keyboard shortcuts, but it doesn't support iPadOS's you know, system um, API of showing what those keyboard shortcuts are when you hold down the command key. So I did some searching online, and even here, I, I kind of ran into some trouble because Microsoft's site um, says that all of the Mac keyboard shortcuts are supported on the iPad as well. But I tested that and it only worked with some of those shortcuts. So that was frustrating. Not only did it not list the shortcuts inside the app, but then you presumably are supposed to be able to do everything you can do in the Mac version. And I tried that and it didn't work. The not great. Um, the good, besides, like I said, just basic navigation, is it has a whole list of formulas. There's charts. There's all the other kind of spreadsheet type features you would like. With that, um, again, this is me maybe being nitpicky, but with the formulas, I wish there was more documentation about what each one did. So you can pull up the four li full list of formulas to choose from, and there's an info button. So you can kind of get a little bit of a description of what that formula is going to do. But in those descriptions, um, it just uses technical jargon that if you're not familiar with spreadsheets or these formulas already, you won't have any idea what it's talking about. And so I felt like that was a missed opportunity as well and not making it more user-friendly. Where Excel does well is in adopting different iPadOS features. So I did mention the ink features, which work really nicely with the Apple Pencil. Um, you can highlight different things, circle cells, do all that. And the really nice thing about it, and this is where it actually has an advantage over Numbers, Apple's app, is that the ink annotations you make are linked to the cells that, you know, that you annotate. And so I um, highlighted different cells and I circled different cells and then I used you know, cut and paste to move them in a different part of the spreadsheet. And the annotations actually followed. So they didn't stay where they originally were. They moved with the contents of the cell, which is really nice. That's what I would hope would happen. Uh, another thing that's nice is that you can, by default, still use a finger, still use touch to move around in the spreadsheet while you're marking things up with the pencil. So lots of apps that support the Apple Pencil, if you are marking things up, and then you start to you know mm -hmm. navigate around with touch. It takes that touch input as you know ink or um, another annotation, which is not what I want most of the time. I, I usually would like the pencil to do that, and then touch to be only for navigating. And so I like what Excel does there. Um, the app supports split view, which is nice. There's no multi-window support, so you're limited to a single spreadsheet at a time. Uh, it supports dark mode. It doesn't apply to the contents of the spreadsheet itself, which I kind of understand because you have different colors and shades and themes for different spreadsheets. But uh, all the UI surrounding the spreadsheet, uh, the menus and things like that will all turn dark, which is nice. It supports drag and drop, which is a really nice way of moving content around. So all the different data you can highlight, um, select what you want, and then just use drag and drop to move it to a different part of the spreadsheet. So there's lots of good in Excel. Um, overall, I, I definitely recommend it. I have my nitpicks. I have you know those areas that I, I don't understand why things are the way they are, but those could be fixed pretty easily. And so it, it's a good app. Um, numbers similarly succeeds in lots of the same areas. Uh, I do like the design of numbers more. If it, it just feels more approachable to me and mm -hmm. a little more fun, not not quite as businessy as Excel, um, but it has lots of similar features. It has lots of good templates to choose from. Um, very similar kind of process for data entry, where you can use the keyboard effectively to navigate around. Just start typing, and it enters into the cell. Um, there are keyboard shortcuts that display when you hold down the command key, so that's great. Um, both of the apps, Numbers and Excel, are pretty intuitive when it comes to accessing different tools inside of their menus. Uh, personally, I like Numbers approach more, um, that, but that's 
probably just because I'm used to using Apple's apps. So like the other iWork apps, Pages and Keynote, I'm really familiar with. Yeah. And Numbers kind of has a similar design. So it just felt more approachable to me. But uh, Excel is pretty good in that area as well, as far as making things clear in the menu at the top of the screen. Um, I do prefer Excel's inking tools, like I said, because of the way that the annotations you make are tied to the data. With numbers, they just kind of sit on top of the data, on top of the spreadsheet, and you can move those annotations around, but they don't move themselves. They're not linked to the contents of the spreadsheet, which I find kind of peculiar because Pages has a feature called Smart Annotation, which we've talked about on the show before, which does just that, where you can add annotations to items in a Pages document, and they actually get linked to that content for some reason, Numbers doesn't have a similar implementation. But uh, iPadOS, feature-wise, as you would expect from an Apple app, it does pretty well. It supports split view and multi-window, which is really nice. If you're working in multiple spreadsheets, you can keep them open to different windows. You can put you know, two windows side by side, so you can view multiple spreadsheets at once. Uh, it supports dark mode, similar to Excel, and drag and drop. Uh, one nice thing that I appreciate is that it supports the document browser, which we talked about briefly already. Mm-hmm. So when you open the app, the first view that you see looks just like files. And you can browse all of the spreadsheets that are stored inside of Numbers' own container in iCloud Drive. But you can also access spreadsheets from anywhere else in iCloud Drive or any other file provider. You have access to the whole file system right inside the app. You don't have to deal with what Excel has, which is kind of a custom file browser, which only you know gives you access to certain file providers, and you kind of have to set them up manually. Like if you're going to log into your Dropbox, you've got to authenticate that. And it's just a much cleaner, simpler experience using the document browser. So I'm really glad that uh, Numbers does that. Yeah. Numbers so is num- also what I use. <laughs> it's the only app I understand. So it doesn't really surprise me. Right, nice. yes. Yeah. Numbers is definitely my my favorite app that I tried. Excel was a close second. And then, like I said, the rest of the apps just, just weren't great, at least for me. Uh, I tried to find several that were beyond um, kind of the first apps I thought of. So, you know, the first apps I thought of, obviously, Numbers in Excel, and then Google Sheets was another one. Um, I tried out Google Sheets a little bit. It, I didn't spend long here because... I know that it's underpowered compared to the web version. Um, For example, I couldn't find a way, I don't think it's possible to create charts inside the app. Um, If there are already charts that exist in a a particular sheet, then you can view those, but you can't create them, at least as far as I could tell. Um, In the past, it's had issues where it didn't work well with keyboards, um, navigating around. It's better now, so you can kind of navigate with the keyboard and then just start typing to automatically enter what it calls editing mode. Mm-hmm. And then you can move the keys, like the arrow keys again to kind of get out of editing mode. It's a little odd kind of jumping in and out of editing mode. I don't really like that distinction that Google Sheets has, um, but it's it's all right. It's better than it used to be at least. Um, it does support split view, but then that's about it. As far as iPadOS features, there's no multi-window or dark mode, or drag and drop support, or Apple Pencil support, and on the list goes, which is not too surprising, unfortunately, for uh, a Google Docs app. But other apps that I tried include Quip, which I don't know if you remember Quip. I do. Um, I do remember Quip. <laughs> so Quip is still alive, and I don't know about well, but it's it's still kicking. Um, it kind of caught my attention because it has a new app icon, which I really like the icon. And so oh, I was really? like, oh, this, yeah, it's much better icon. than the old one. And uh, so, but it is not, it's just not a good solution oh, for no. spreadsheets <laughs> on the iPad. Um, there's no keyboard navigation for going between different cells in a spreadsheet, which is really a deal breaker for me when it comes to spreadsheets on the iPad. Um, when a cell is selected, you can't, just start typing. You have to enter editing mode first, which is annoying. Um, And so I didn't spend long in Quip. Uh, Another app that I tried is uh, Airtable, which I've used some before. If you're looking for kind of 
an alternative sort of database. So you're not necessarily working with numbers that much, maybe a little bit of numbers, but more just trying to keep track of other types of items in a database. Airtable is really interesting in that it kind of has a fresh modern approach that's very user-friendly. Um, it, it very clearly lays out kind of different uh, types of cells and different types of content. And, and it makes it very easy to use, but part of you know where it falls short because of that ease of use perhaps is that it doesn't have the advanced features you would look for and expect in an app like Excel or Numbers. So if Numbers, you know, working with Numbers is what you do a lot, Airtable is not a great option. But if you want just kind of an alternative kind of mm -hmm. modern spreadsheet, then Airtable works. The last app that I tried is an app called Simple Spreadsheet. And this is where, like I said, I was really hoping to find a quality indie app that kind of got the basics right and had strong iPadOS integrations. I browsed the app store for a little while, and this was the only app that caught my attention as maybe meeting those requirements. I very quickly found out that it didn't, but most of the apps I came across just looked very outdated. Uh, they looked very underpowered. They weren't modern uh, iPad apps by any means. And so this is the one that at first maybe looked like it could be. Um, again, I'm a sucker for a good app icon and it's, mm. it's, it's an okay icon. Um, it's the only one that didn't immediately look like it was five years old. And so uh, I tried it and unfortunately, kind of like the name says, simple spreadsheet, it's super stripped down. It really can't do a whole lot um, and it doesn't support much in the way of iPadOS technology. So if you just want something that, you know, honestly, no. I, I would not recommend Simple Spreadsheet. Even if you want something simple, you can use numbers for that and just mm. not touch the advanced features. I was hoping Simple Spreadsheet would be kind of a good indie app, but um, it's not. And so, yeah, the, the spreadsheet market on the iPad is really limited to just those those couple big players with Excel and numbers. And it's disappointing. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like there's there's room for a lot of uh, work to be done in this area, and I'm kind of surprised that hasn't happened. Maybe as more and more people kind of take the iPad seriously as a productivity device, then that will change. And, uh, and maybe even as it becomes easier for cross-platform development, where somebody could make an iPad and Mac app that does spreadsheets pretty easily, or at least more easily than they used to be able to, Maybe some developer will will tackle this problem and uh, and go up against the big giants in the spreadsheet space. But I mean, it's it's not that there's necessarily a need for something different. I, I think numbers, especially since it's free for Apple users, it does really well. But I would be curious to see kind of what an indie could do with this and making spreadsheets more approachable and you know making their app really tightly integrated with other iPad features. Yeah, that's too bad. I was hoping that you could find uh, like the, I don't know, the Ulysses of spreadsheets, right? Like the quality indie app for spreadsheets. And I guess part of the problem, right, is that like these services like Excel and like Google Sheets, there are ecosystems and so many offices and like teams are locked into an ecosystem of either Microsoft or Google and it's so hard for an indie developer to break in. But I think like for, for people like you and I, like the single user uh, high quality spreadsheet app like that's something that should exist so thank you for doing the research i'm kind of sad that you didn't discover what i was also also dreaming for and maybe you know in the future maybe in the future but thank you ryan well it was not fun but <laughs> that's okay that's okay <laughs> Uh, next time I'll have to throw more of a tantrum whenever you <laughs> assign me what seems like a boring, mm -hmm. a boring challenge. And, um, but yeah, it was, it's fine. It's, uh, just spreadsheets are not exactly my thing and I didn't quite fall in love with them through the course of this challenge. And that's okay. Now, uh, let me thank our next sponsor. And then we have some ask adapt questions to get to, uh, today's episode is also brought to you by Sanebox. Uh, getting your inbox to zero is almost impossible these days. Uh, we all get a lot of email, 
And sometimes the important stuff, the emails that really matter, they can easily get lost. And that is where SaneBox comes in. As messages come in, SaneBox will triage them for you, sorting the important emails from the noise. It will put what matters in your inbox. And then all the distracting stuff will go to a Sane Later folder, which lets you deal with what's important right now and review everything else at a later time when it suits you. SaneBox also has nifty features like the Sane Black Hole, where you can drag messages from annoying senders that you never want to hear from again, and Sane Reminders to notify you if someone hasn't replied to your email by a certain date. Best of all, you can use SaneBox with any email client or phone. It will work wherever you check your email. See how SaneBox can work its magic to remove distractions from your inbox by getting a free two-week trial right now. Just go to sanebox.com adapt to start your free trial, and you'll also get a $25 credit. That's S-A-N-E-B-O-X, SaneBox. SaneBox.com adapt. Our thanks to SaneBox for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right, Federico, we have some questions to answer from our listeners. Um, before we do that, we had a lot of people write in mm-hmm. in response to a question we answered last time, which uh, one of our listeners had asked about using the text replacement feature that is available on iPad as well as iPhone and the Mac. Uh, but to use that to have multi-line text replacements. And so we talked about that. And as we said, you cannot create multi-line replacements on your iPad and have them work. Um, They will uh, unfortunately not retain the formatting of having multiple lines. But as several listeners pointed out, if you have a Mac, you can set up multi-line replacements on your Mac, and then they sync back to the iPad and they'll actually work properly where you type in whatever the shortcut you configured for that uh, text replacement, and then it will put in whatever you set up on the Mac um, correctly formatted on the iPad. So it's nice to know, um, and if you have a Mac, that that's a, a good workaround. It's unfortunate that you know even today there are things like this, just little things where you can you can do it on the Mac and you seemingly can do it on the iPad, but then it doesn't actually work right. Um, so if you got a Mac, you can do things that way. Otherwise, um, you're kind of out of luck with multi-line replacement. Um, now, uh, we have a question from uh, Jan, who asks about scanning paper. So mm-hmm. he says, good notes can either scan paper notes or turn handwritten notes into machine text. However, it is not possible to scan a handwritten note and OCR or convert it. Is there an app that can do this? Uh, do you have a recommendation for this, Federico? Um, well, uh, the only thing I'm familiar, I'm familiar with is, is Prismo, like the, the, the Prismo family of apps. And I think you had in our notes that Prismo Go can do this but like i i have never like literally never had to scan a handwritten note myself in my life i think yeah so prismo go depending on the handwriting so there's okay. there's a big asterisk there i haven't tried it with any kind of crazy handwriting um but i have done it with uh handwritten notes where uh the way that prismo go works the ui is really great it Um, essentially shows like a camera viewfinder when you're pointing your phone or your iPad at a document and it will kind of show the app recognizing text on that page and it will highlight it in blue and there's this neat animation where it kind of lifts that text off the page and recognizes it. And so uh, again, depending on handwriting, your mileage may vary with this, but Prismo Go is the one app I can think of that I would definitely recommend to give a shot. Uh, so next up, this is a fun question by Zap Berry asks, "What's the theme music for the podcast?" Now this is one of my one of my favorite details of of Adapt uh, because I I worked really hard on it and I still cannot believe that we actually made it happen. So the intro music for Adapt was done by Manami Matsumae. 
She is the composer of the original Mega Man. So the Mega Man video game that came out on the Nintendo in the 80s by Capcom. Um, Manami Matsumae, she worked on the music of the original Mega Man game, and that music is still used to this day for modern Mega Man games. And this still kind of blows my mind whenever I think about it. We were able to make it happen, thanks to my dear friend Mohamed Tahir of uh, Brave Wave Productions. Brave Wave is an indie label that sort of, uh, it sort of lives at the intersection of, of video games and music and indie artists. Really, really awesome, awesome label. Go to, like, uh, if you're into, like, chiptune, electronic music, I cannot recommend this enough. I have a bunch of Brave Wave albums and remixes on my Sony music player, and they are awesome in, in high-res. Um, but yeah, uh, Manami Matsume, she, she's the composer of the original Mega Man, and also the composer of the Adapt intro music. So that's that's awesome. Yeah, we're so thankful that we were able to have her create something. It's yeah, it's pretty remarkable that that sentence right there. Uh, composer <laughs> of Mega Man and Adapt. That's, that's funny. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, next question comes from David. Uh, he asks, "Could you guys talk about the line between iPad being its own device and being a traditional computer?" Uh, or the line between the iPad kind of being a, used as a tablet. Uh, mm. It seems like mouse support, trackpad, smart keyboard, and our concerns about multitasking and external displays are all aimed at replicating a standard computer rather than kind of letting the iPad be what it originally was mm. intended to be. Um, yeah. I'm sure you um, got some thoughts on that. <laughs> yeah. Think better? yeah. Uh, so I think a common mistake in this, in this um, type of line of thinking is that by adding these options, the iPad wouldn't be what it used to be anymore. And that's not the point. In fact, we all want the iPad at a very basic level to continue being what, it, what it's supposed to be, a tablet that you can hold in your hands and touch and, and interact with using multi-touch and intuitive gestures. That's not changing. What I think I and other people like me are asking for is to continue working toward the idea of flexibility. So the idea of a tablet that can transform into multiple things without necessarily giving up on its original basic nature. And, and this is the kind of work that Apple started doing years ago. Uh, if you look at, for example, the first iPad Pro in 2015 with the smart keyboard and the Apple Pencil, that's the idea of adding optional and I really want to underline this, this term, this qualifier, is optional accessories that can transform the iPad into a quasi-laptop device or, you know, a sheet of paper where you can annotate things or draw things with the pencil. And I think continuing down this road of let's, like, let's build this new kind of modular computer that at a very basic level is a tablet but also via native accessories can become different things and gain new capabilities, right? Um, so a keyboard, a pencil, maybe a trackpad, maybe a mouse, and why not, you know, plug in a single cable and now you can work with an external display. And this is the kind of thing that we ask for because it would be easier for the iPad to sort of ingest and replicate some of those Mac features than it would be for the Mac to become a tablet, right? That's the whole point. But that does not ex exclude and does not mean that the iPad shouldn't be a tablet anymore. And that's not really what we're asking for here. We're not saying stop being a tablet and become a computer. What we're saying is, because by design, the iPad is so simple, right? It's a single slab of glass that can be extended natively, can become multiple things. Let's, let's continue doing that so that this idea of versatility and flexibility, this idea, I keep calling it modular computing. Some people call it hybrid computing. I think modular is maybe more, is maybe more apt as a, as a description. The idea that you can make your own iPad experience, if you will, I think that's really powerful, and I think it, it allows you to 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 buy a single device that can that can scale across different 
uh, work contexts across different scenarios. Like I can use the iPad as a tablet at the beach. I can also use the iPad as a workstation at home with a keyboard and a trackpad and an external display. And I think that that's a beautiful idea. It's a powerful idea. But yes, I, I also want the iPad to continue being a tablet. I don't want that to ever change. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I, if, if the iPad just became a replacement for a traditional computer and no longer was a tablet, then what's the point of that? I, I, I don't, I think you'd be missing out on so much, but what has been great about how Apple has evolved the device and how it sounds like it's going to continue evolving the device is that you can use the iPad in whatever way best suits you. And it can be a tablet, it can be a replacement for a traditional computer, it can be all these different things and adapt to all these different settings. And that's a really great thing. That's a really mm -hmm. powerful thing. And so I, I don't think that... Uh, obviously, there are some things that... Um, I know people, some people have opinions about, well, the iPad shouldn't do multitasking at all. But the nice thing about the way that Apple has evolved iPad OS over time is that you can still use your iPad as a tablet that just has a single app on screen at once if you want to. And so nobody's, you know, forcing anyone to use the advanced features. Um, you can use it exactly as you've always done that. And, and so that's great. Um, I, I think, you know, obviously we, we have our critiques about kind of how the device has evolved and maybe some changes Apple could make. But uh, overall, I'm happy with the fact that, that Apple continues to enable the iPad to be iPad the way it was originally conceived and is expanding the device to more and more areas. I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Okay, we are about out of time. Um, mm -hmm. Just as a reminder... Uh, if you have questions about file management or about other things related to the iPad, write in on Twitter with the hashtag AskAdapt. And we'll see those and may be able to answer them in a future episode. But for now, let me give you a challenge, Federico. Okay, okay. Okay, so what I'd like you to do is take advantage of some cutting-edge technology. Um, I'm actually not being sarcastic there. In iPadOS 13.4 there are a variety of keyboard changes. And one of those changes is an accessibility feature called full keyboard access, which enables a user to, as the, the name implies, um, do anything on screen from a keyboard. So uh, it's an accessibility feature. It's not really meant for everyday use by you know the average user, but it is really interesting in that We've talked a lot in the past about how we want richer keyboard integration on the iPad, and this isn't exactly what we want, but it kind of gives maybe a glimpse into what that could look like someday if Apple takes some of what they've done for the full keyboard access feature and kind of changes it and makes it more user-friendly for common everyday uses on the iPad. So what I want you to do is I just want you to use your iPad in full keyboard access mode for no less than an hour, just a, a single session, or I guess it could be multiple sessions split up, but I want you to use it for a chunk of time, okay. um, no less than an hour in that mode, and just report back on what that's like, um, what works, what doesn't work, um, you know, how natural it may or may not feel using the iPad exclusively with the keyboard rather than using touch. Um, you, you can use touch if you have to, but you know, I'd prefer obviously during that hour that you, that you use the keyboard as much as possible. It's kind of like the challenge a while back regarding the um, voice control feature. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but I think this one will be a little easier, uh, a little more manageable. And uh, I'm really curious to see kind of if full keyboard access is something that people who don't need it for accessibility purposes can get some value out of or not. And even if not, you know, what, what could it mean for the future of the iPad if Apple takes some of the lessons learned from that feature and applies them in the rest of the system? So how does that sound? Yeah, this is fun. I'm up for it. Yeah, I, I, I've played with the feature for a few minutes uh, last week or two weeks ago, but recently anyway. Um, so yeah, yeah, this is this is fun. Uh, 
I predict that I will have a lot of uh, thoughts <laughs> when we All talk right. about this. All right. That sounds good. Well, this has been episode 21 of Adapt. I'd like to thank our sponsors for this episode, Pingdom and SaneBox. If you'd like to find show notes for today, you can visit our website, relay.fm slash adapt slash 21. And to follow us online, Federico's on Instagram and Twitter as at Vitici, that's V-I-T-I-C-C-I. And I'm on Twitter as at IRyan, T-L-D-R, that's I-R-Y-A-N, T-L-D-R. And you can find both of us writing at maxstories.net. Until next time, say goodbye, Federico. Arrivederci. Bye.